Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, today is Tuesday, and it's time again for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some very cool, very amazing plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide, and as always, I'm so thrilled to be with you today. Y'all, I'm so excited. Um, A friend is back, and I love having friends on the show more than once. So this was a crowd favorite from way back in May of last year, which if you're keeping score was in 2020. Hey, 2021 is almost over. Hooray, I'm crossing my fingers and my toes and anything else I can cross my eyeballs uh, that 2022 is much better. I digress. So last time my guest was on, we talked about earthworms and invasive worms and worms of all shapes and sizes. We talked grad schools and clover and protecting your time and all kinds of good stuff. That's right. Back once again is Paige Boyle, uh, my dear friend and turf grass compadre. And uh, Paige is currently a PhD candidate at the end of her program. She is a consultant. She is a science communicator. Uh, She is a mentor. She works on stuff for different academic conferences with the Tri Society. She does so many things. And we'll talk about how Paige doesn't sleep, or I don't understand how Paige finds time to sleep. But we've been trying to coordinate this for a few weeks, and I was so happy when we finally found a time, because I'm not exaggerating when I say that Paige is one of my favorite people on this planet. She has such a cool perspective on things, and for someone I have met like once, maybe twice ever, I feel like we have so much in common and we think about school and life and a lot of things the same way. And I was so excited to talk to her again. So she came back for sort of a deep dive episode, maybe a little bit different than some of our deep dives. So she's giving us an update on what she's been doing. We talk uh, clovers and alternatives to the American lawn and the psychology and sociology that goes into the American lawn. We talked about policy and grad school and time and so many other things and industry. And it was was such a good, inspiring and insightful conversation. I know you're really going to love it. So I don't want to drag this out too much. I just want to get to this interview. But um, again, if you, if you have not followed Planthropology all the places, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm on TikTok as the plant prof. You should be following along. But you know what? I don't have much more to say about this, except that I hope you're excited about this episode. Because y'all, it really is a good one. Whether you're a grad student or just a person who is living their life, there is so much that Paige brings to this conversation. So uh, buckle up, grab a blanket, go find a nice space in your lawn, and get ready for episode, I don't know, whatever number this is, of Planthropology, a deep dive with Paige Boyle. All right, well, we're back again with Paige Boyle. And if you'll remember from the way back when, uh, she was on, oh gosh, I meant to look up the episode number. Uh, Sometimes I'm really good about remembering stuff. Uh, It was episode 16. uh, And that was, it was a long time ago. That was uh, May 12th, 2020, which feels like it was six years ago. Agreed. (laughs) It really does. uh, so how have you been for the past, I don't know, 18 months? 
Yeah, really busy. Um, I'm, I'm finishing up my PhD. I'm working part-time at a local composting company. I'm uh, consulting for Sunday lawn care right now as well. So lots going on. Uh, so when do you sleep? Do you sleep? <laughs> yeah, well, I go to sleep at like eight o'clock every night, wake up at five. <laughs> oh, I, gosh. I'm so exhausted by the end of the day. I just can't stay up. I, I'm sure you are. I I think about going to bed at 8 a.m. and that or 8 p.m. not 8 a.m. Uh, and that sounds actually like really nice. It, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I would love to be able to do that. Yeah, until people want to like you know hang out and, and stay up until midnight. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were talking off off the recording before we started about um, uh, how we're not quite as young as we once were. And the thought of like, I, I know when I was 18, 19 in college, people would be like, hey, you want to come over at like 10 p.m. and hang out? I'd be like, sure, it's early. Okay. <laughs> now, if someone like even suggests doing anything social after about 730, I'm like, nah, I'm out. Every every couple of weeks, we'll get together with our friend group. And they're always like, oh, yeah, come over anytime around like 6, 630. And I'm just like, that's the beginning of the night? Like, what? <laughs> I'm winding down, getting getting my PJs on, you know. But it's fine. that is We're that old. is <laughs> uh, it's a, it happens happens the best of us. <laughs> uh, I was talking to a couple of my employees um, yesterday, actually, and they were like, "Yeah, we were born in 2002." It's like, no, stop, <laughs> stop it. Oh, that hurts I, my heart. <laughs> oh no, I don't think I can fire them for that, but I really wanted to. <laughs> You could try, you know. I could maybe come up with another reason. I don't know. I was like, <laughs> oh no, that's and you're in college, you're adults. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Anyway. Um <laughs> so tell us you're at the end of your PhD program. Uh what what are you working on? What is the last year like? Um, you know, and, and I always make this this disclaimer when I talk to people that are still in the process of research, like, you know, don't disclose anything that you don't want to but um what what has your research been like what uh what are you working on what's what's the home stretch been like for you yeah um so earlier oh gosh oh it's already december um earlier this year <laughs> sometime um i did my comprehensive exams um so that was about one week of of written exams and then um we ended up having to do my oral exam about a month later um, so that was that was kind of like the final administrative hurdle, right? And then mm-hmm. since then, I've just been trying to finish data collection, um, trying to get our statistician to run my stats for me so I don't have to do it, <laughs> um, which is better for everyone involved, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and, that, and then, of course, trying to analyze those results, which is a whole other beast. Um, but yeah, right now I'm just trying to finish up my greenhouse study. It's been... Um, gosh, like three or four months of of data collection for that one, which has been kind of a bear, but winding down now. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not in the process of writing really right now. I've written as much as I can without my results. And and so I'm kind of at a holding point with that for better or worse. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, just, just trying to get through this last push of data collection, which is, it's hard, right? Because you know, the end is near. The end is so near. I can be done in like a week. Um, 
but I, I have to get through that last week, which is tough. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I know that, that feeling so well, just of, look, I, it's like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and it makes it so much harder. It does. Yeah. It, for whatever reason, right. You would think that it's like, Oh, like you're, you're at the final push, like just make it through. But it, because you know, it's the final push, it's just, it feels so much worse. <laughs> well, and, and part, part of what I want to talk about um, is just this experience of graduate school and doing research and all of that. And I think that it is so exhausting. Like the, and, and I, I've never tried to talk someone out of grad school or research or any of those things, but I sure have. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a good to discourage point anyone from grad. I mean, it is great, and and you know, if you need to do it, do it. But <laughs> but it's but it's a lot, it and I think people need to understand um, what they're getting into. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Can you tell us about the work that you're doing a little bit, uh, like your research project? Yeah. Um, my main one, which I, I finished up oh, earlier this year sometime, um, was this this idea of mixing clovers into lawns. So we had four different species, rose clover, white clover, strawberry clover, and crimson clover that we mixed into bluegrass. Um, we did a couple years of, a, of field work with that um, just to see how they persisted, whether they helped you know reduce weed pressure and, and anything like that. Then we took it into the greenhouse um, and did the same mixtures, same setup, same maintenance, all of that. But we were looking more at, um, and this was like right in the middle of pandemic, which is why we moved it into the greenhouse. So I wouldn't have to be traveling and all of that. Um, But trying to get at this idea of nitrogen transfer. So these legumes, these clovers are supposed to fix nitrogen and, um, you know, that's going to be released when you when you mow and that material decomposes or the nodules themselves um, release these exudates or whatever. So we wanted to see, you know, how much nitrogen that clover was producing and putting into that soil for the grass to uptake. So we've collected soil samples um, monthly. We uh, collected final clippings um, the last week or so of the trial. Um, a lot of that's still being analyzed, so I don't have answers yet on, on you know, what sure. that is, um, if anything. But um, that was that was my main study. Right now, I'm wrapping up a study looking at these two different, um, they're called plant growth promoting rhizobacteria blends. And so it's just these blends of bacteria that have been shown to have beneficial effects on turf in particular um, for these blends. Um a lot of research has been done out of Auburn looking at um, Bermuda grass and, and different abiotic and biotic responses with, with these bacterial blends. But I'm moving it into cool season grass, looking at creeping bent grass and whether these blends help with um, drought stress response. And so we have two different cultivars. Um, we have the two different bacterial blends. We have a fertilizer like nitrogen fertilizer positive control type thing um, Mm -hmm. and then a a regular control with no app no applications um and then half of those pots were drought stressed for what we thought was going to be like a week maybe and then everything Mm -hmm. would die down and 
um, yesterday marked or Monday marked eight weeks without water and we still had green grass. Um, so I ended, wow. I ended up just trying to, in, for the sake of getting done with my PhD, ending the study on Monday. Um, but yeah, still, still collecting data on that. So again, I don't have any answers on anything, but those are the, the projects that we're looking at. No, that's so fascinating. Eight weeks is a long time. That's a long time. And they looked, I mean, there, obviously there were a few that had declined, but um, yeah, they looked happy as could be some of them. And what was interesting is the ones that I noticed starting to decline first were the nitrogen treated ones. And we had originally added that in as kind of a positive control. The idea being that adding nitrogen to grass can hide a whole lot of other issues, right? So it would look happy even if it was stressed. Um, but they actually ended up being the ones that declined first, whether or not it's statistically significant, I don't know. But um, so that was kind of an interesting turn of events. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And, <clears throat> you know, turf gets a bad rap. Um, and I, I think it's earned some of it. Uh, <laughs> but it, but depend, depending on which, like, corner of Twitter you turn to. <laughs> Uh, uh, being, being a turf scientist is not always the most fun. Right. Uh, and, and I say that, you know, my, part of my PhD was in, in turf grass and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our deliverables were different. The, the way that we approached it was different, but it was the same kind of idea of how do we keep acceptable quality with less water? Right. You know, how, how do we resist drought? Yep. Uh, so that's fascinating to me. It sounds like you're kind of coming at it at from two different ways. How do we use, you know, uh, fungi to maybe improve plant fitness and, and, you know, extend the green life of the plant, but also using mixed lawns and, and uh, looking at resource conservation as a whole. Like if you don't have to apply as much fertilizer. Right. Yeah. We've kind of come at this. I mean, again, those two projects or three projects, depending on how you look at it, are, are not necessarily cohesive when you first look at them but the main idea when I came in to this was reducing inputs right and so if we can reduce herbicides by adding in these broadleaf weeds that crowd out other broadleaf weeds if we can reduce fertilizer inputs if we can reduce water inputs um, especially in places where we're facing water restrictions um, like we should look into that that is important work um So that's kind of the overall lens is like this reduced input turf management. Um, We're just going about it a few different ways. Well, and I think anytime we can use ecology to solve some of our problems, um, because I think over the past, and we see this in IPM and pest management, different things over the past, what, 40 years, it's been like, let's throw another chemical at it. Let's Mm -hmm. find another product to, to throw at it. And not that that's inherently bad, but it, it does lead to some issues. Yes. Uh, you know, we see that in fertilizer runoff in, in um, uh, pesticide resistance and things like that. So I, I think it's fascinating anytime we can use an, uh, an ecological solution right. to one of these problems. I think that's really cool. Yes. I agree. Do, do you know, and, and this may be beyond the scope of, of what you're doing, and, and tell me if it is, but do you know much about the acceptance of um, mixed lawns, like in homeowners or different users? Yeah. 
That's an interesting question because I'm I'm touching on some of that in my dissertation, like through the lit review and um, what I call like barriers to adoption. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research out there. I mean, some of it's a little bit old. I mean, like from the early 2000s, 2010s, but mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of research showing that there is just this like deeply entrenched like ideal of the North American lawn has to be dark green monoculture grass. And if you are not adhering to that idea, like you're a moral failure and you are like letting down your neighbors and like rendering, like (laughs) there's like so much negativity associated with it. And I don't know of any research recently um, that has looked at, you know, clover lawns in particular, you know, some of these mixed lawns. I think there's definitely a movement towards that though. And I think there, there's going to have to be in the future. Um, Just, I mean, fertilizer prices are insane right now and seed prices are insane right now and Mm -hmm. water issues are insane right now. Like everything is just leaning into this idea of, of we have to change. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you and, and, I like personally, you know, I, I think about my own practices when I think about the way that I approach education or mm-hmm. research on some of these things. And I like having a lawn. Yeah, I, I do. You know, do. I have, <laughs> I have a dog, I have yep. a, a five-year-old, we use the lawn, but I also personally don't really care too much if it grays out a little in the summer, right. if there's other plants growing in it. I, I have not on purpose cultivated a mixed lawn, but I have one. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I kind of go with this minimal input like strategy of yes, I mow. Yes, I water. I fertilize when I have to, but overall I, I'm, I, I don't know if it's laziness or what, but I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't really want to mess with this too much. And yeah. so personally, I don't mind too much about, uh, of, you know, if, if there's different things in my lawn, mm-hmm. multiple grass species, some broad leaves, as long as like, it's not field sandbur, <laughs> I tend to be pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? If, if you want your neighbors to be envious of your dark green grass only lawn, like keep your front lawn that way, but you can do stuff with your back lawn or your side lawn, or, you know, there, there are options, right? You don't have to go all in on everything. I think that's a really good point. And so much of that comes down to the way we perceive the landscape Mm. in general. Uh, Part of my dissertation was um, we did a survey looking at, something we came up with called perceived landscape importance. And we asked, you know, on a scale of essentially one to five, how important do you think is the quality of your landscape? And we actually found some pretty strong results that the more overall importance people put on the quality of their landscape, the more water they'll use, the less likely they are to follow restrictions X, Y, and Z, because they look at it as this very important piece of their property and their home. And and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. For me, I think there's two strategies to addressing this. One of them is, okay, let's use technology. Let's use breeding. Let's use a lot of things to improve the 
uh, way that we deliver inputs, the quality of the plant itself. But also, I think that we have to do a lot of education in terms of what what does good mean? You know, what is positive? Yeah, kind of along the same lines. Um, while I was researching these these barriers, right, um, looking into some of like the the sociology of of lawn care, um, there's surveys out there that show that homeowners like don't make that connection between their lawn being part of the ecosystem around them. It's very much like this is an extension of my home versus this is part of the living landscape that, that I'm in. And I think there definitely needs to be more education and how we go about that. I mean, obviously we have extension educators and, and all of this out there, but I don't know how to make that connection. Um, but we need to figure it out, right? Because lawns are part of the ecosystem. We can support pollinators and we can reduce inputs and protect water quality and, and all of these things at home. And I think that's something that people like don't, for some reason, that's just not clicking. Um, so I think, yeah, education around lawns and, and turf in general and, and all of this, I think uh, definitely needs to be expanded to include some of that. Hundred percent, and I think you know we don't see ourselves as humans as part of the global mm -hmm. ecosystem. We kind of set ourselves apart, yeah. And and so I guess it kind of makes sense that when we manufacture something like the urban landscape, and I tell my students this that there is, you know, you can make your home landscape as native as you want to. It's still a manufactured landscape, right? Uh, it, and and it changes the category we put it in our brain, and it's really interest an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about policy and a few other things. Well, hey, welcome to the mid roll. I'm so glad you made it here. Are you having a good day? How's the weather? Is it nice? Are you? I think when this comes out, if, it, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, it's supposed to be like 75 degrees here where I live, which is bonkers because it's December. It's not supposed to do that. Anyway, I hope you are following Planthropology everywhere you can. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I think that's all. Is that all the places? Oh, we have a cool Facebook group called Planthropology's cool plant people. It's a lot of fun. You need to be in it. I'm also, like I mentioned at the beginning on TikTok as at the plant prof. Oh, follow along for so much nonsense. I did a video pretty recently about how plants scream when they're dying. That'll help you sleep at night. Uh, check out my podcast network, the Podfix network. It's a great family of shows. And in fact, you're going to hear a promo in just a few seconds for a show called Pop-Up Filmcast. And they do every year a very cool series called The 12 Days of Pop-Up, which you may hear a familiar plant-related voice. It's a lot of fun. There's prizes. There's all kinds of stuff. So check out 12 Days of Pop-Up and uh, listen to the trailer. I also want to say, as always, thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show for letting me do the thing, for being impressed when I tell them that we've passed 70,000 downloads. That's kind of fun to hear when I'm like, oh yeah, the show, it's it's all right. Just this little thing, this whole thing, this whole thing. There's 75,000 downloads and people are like, ooh, is that a lot? And I'm like, oh, it's so much. It's it's not. It's pretty good. Anyway, uh, but thank you, Texas Tech. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie. And thank you to the Plant and Soil Science Department for 
being so cool. Just being so cool. I couldn't do this without them. I also couldn't do this without you. Uh, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you'll buy me a cup of coffee. And no, I'm not kidding. I spend a lot of money on coffee. And it gives me the energy to talk as fast as I do. So you're welcome. If you just want to support the show in general, tell a friend about it. Uh, that's the best way to help this thing grow is by word of mouth. Share it on social media. Uh, I love, love, love so much getting tagged in posts about people's favorite episodes or hearing what y'all are listening to. It makes me really very happy. Also, if you don't mind, head over to Podchaser or Apple Music or Apple Podcasts. What are we calling it these days? iTunes? whatever, the Apple device, and leave me a review and a rating. Uh, does it help me in the charts? I don't know. I don't know. People say yes. Some people say no. It doesn't matter. It makes me feel good in my squishy heart parts that people are listening and that you've taken the time and that you care enough to interact. So go leave me a rating and review and get ready for a promo for Pop-Up Filmcast in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Season's greetings, Mrs. Claus here. My better half and his army of elves are getting ready to hit the home stretch on this season's work. And while bringing joy to little boys and girls everywhere warms their hearts, the best part of this whole shebang for them is listening to Pop-Up Filmcast's 12 Days of Pop-Up. Every weekday between December 9th and Christmas Eve, Keith and Derek put smiles on elf ears and make hubby's belly jiggle like a bowl full of jelly. There will be 12 guests talking about a dozen movies from the same number of genres, each with more holiday flair than a bottomless box of fate-supplied movies full of magical reindeer poop. Seriously, whatever they feed them to make them fly really does a number on their tummies. Anywho, make sure to check out the pop-up film Cast's 12 Days of Pop-Up, starting Thursday, December 9th. And not to seem threatening, but those who don't get put on the naughty list I'm Mrs. Claus. I can make that happen. I think, too, there's also barriers to people who do want to do this, right? There's homeowner association, you know, uh, guidelines and, and mm -hmm. municipal guidelines. And, you know, if you let your grass grow more than six inches, you're going to get fined by the city and, and all this. So I think we also need to approach it from that standpoint and, and have education from the more kind of top-down approach as well so that people can do some of these things. Yeah. Policy matters for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as scientists, and this is sort of a, an aside, as distasteful as it can be, I think we do have to involve ourselves in policy yeah. uh, and influence the, the decision makers. I agree. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, want to be the one to do it, but no, me <laughs> someone needs to. <laughs> I, I, I agree. And it's funny because uh, every scientist I talk to, I think we all say pretty much that. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, It's important, but I really don't want to do it. I think it. part of it, though, is like we don't, we're not trained on like how to do it, right? I have no idea how to go to policymakers and be like, hey, if people want to let their lawn grow six inches or taller and grow clover, like, let them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know. you know, you know, what's interesting, and it's, it's interesting that we ended up on this kind of topic of conversation. So I have gotten involved through some things in, in a, like, our department owns a community garden now. Mm -hmm. 
um, it was donated to our department. And kind of through that, I got involved with the civic organization that is um, working a little bit on the policy side. And I am very much like a tangent to this. I don't do, I'm not important to this. So if you're one of these (laughs) folks in this organization listening, I am not taking credit for any of the work (laughs) you're doing. Uh, uh, But it's interesting because this group is working with the city council right now on some potential zoning and policy changes that directly relate to community gardens and the way that they can be managed. And it's been really, I I think eye opening for me to see that side a little bit of, Oh no, showing up at a council meeting actually is important. Uh, Going and making those public comments actually is important. And again, I still don't want to do it. I think that still sounds terrible, (laughs) right? (laughs) But, but I have started to see um, the benefits of that. And the fact that, if you actually like show up and make yourself known and like take the time to engage at the civic level, people actually do kind of listen because I think this group has had some impact on, okay, maybe this policy is not the most beneficial to the people that would use these space. I don't know. That's, that's a uh, very much an aside, but I think it is important that if you're a scientist out there listening and you have the opportunity or maybe the, the, means to engage uh, engaging is probably important yeah i agree i think it's uh, something that could be better taught uh but isn't at the moment oh i i 100 that is a whole other camp yep. isn't it <laughs> as with many things in in grad school in particular we're we're not taught how to do these things so <laughs> yeah Speaking of cans of worms, uh, <laughs> last time you were on, we talked a lot about worms uh, because I think your master's research was in in worms. Was. Is that correct? That is correct. And you just today gave a talk about worms. Yep, and I'm giving three more in February and March of next year. So, <laughs> wow, maybe another uh, in January. That one's still up in the air, but yeah, <laughs> that was that was just approached today after this morning's talk. So. <laughs> Yes, yeah, still talking to earthworms. How are the worms doing? Uh, they're doing great. Superintendents <laughs> are not doing great with them. <laughs> no, I mean, so, I mean, they're going to be a problem for a while because there's no pesticides um, labeled for earthworms, even though people use off-label stuff all the time. Um, one of the expellents that was really popular was um, is no longer being produced because of um, partially because of tariff issues with China, but also, um, you know, they were concerned on how their stuff was being used off label to control earthworms, which is valid. Um, so right now there's not really much people can do about them, which is unfortunate, um, cause they do cause issues, but hopefully in the future we'll, we'll have some options. There's some cool research coming up that I think could help. That's awesome. And and I know there's at least one of you out there listening saying, but earthworms are good. And <laughs> go go back and listen to our last episode. We talked a lot about how that is generally true, but there are uh, invasive worms, which is, again, yes. funny to think about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's – I'd like to spend the rest of our time kind of talking um, maybe grad school research and, and I, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but – maybe diversifying your grad school experience, because I feel like that's something that you've done quite a bit of. Uh, you're involved in a lot. 
Yes. <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, can, can you give us sort of just an, and, and again, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but just an overview of all the different things you're involved in. Maybe uh, I, I don't know how much time we've yeah, got. Right? But, uh. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously I'm, I'm finishing up my PhD, hopefully soonish, um, which, you know, entails research and data collection and analysis and writing and defending one day. Um, but I'm also, like I said, working uh, very part-time at a local compost company right now. Um, so I, I occasionally help with, you know, routes or manual labor as needed, <laughs> um, which is kind of nice because it gets me, I mean, I'm working from home still. We're still in a pandemic and, um, you know, it's nice to get out and be outside for a little while, uh, which is sure. great. Um, so I'm doing that. I am consulting with Sunday Lawn Care right now. Um, I'm, what am I? I'm an ecology consultant for them. Oh. Um, so I do some some science communication, blog writing, trainings for uh, customer service. I'm moving into some, um, I don't really say product development, but kind of helping with product development a little bit. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. I, I really like the science communication aspect of, of that job in particular. So those are, those are my actual jobs. What else am I doing? Um, <laughs> gosh, <laughs> I am on too many committees to, to count for um, the Tri-Society. So that's the Agronomy, Crop, and Soil Science Societies of America. Mm -hmm. Um we just had our annual meeting and, and I was chairing several committees and, and just participating in several others. Um, did a lot of moderating of events, which was interesting um, for the first time. So that was fun. Um, and that, that I really enjoy actually it's a lot, um, but I get to meet a lot of new people and, and, you know, grad students and undergrads and professors and industry folks and um, government. And it's been really beneficial for me from that aspect of meeting all these people that I otherwise never would have interacted with, right? Because they're in ag or they're in soils or, you know, they aren't in turf, which is a very small group. Um, so that's been really, really great. Um, gosh, what else am I? There's too much. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It, it's you know it's interesting I, i'm i'm similar to you in some ways in that i struggle to say no to stuff and that i keep finding new things to do yep <laughs> uh but i i also think that it's important that i i don't know i i i'm i kind of go back and forth because i think it's important that we again diversify our lives in in some ways and the the networking aspect like you were just talking about um is so much a part of like it's something we should do more of in graduate school yes because <laughs> we 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 put our blinders on and we put our heads down and it's like i'm going to do the project i'm going to do the research i'm going to do this this and this but then you graduate and it's like oh i have to get a job yeah and you know who has jobs? All these other people out there that you <laughs> just met, right? So, yeah, I think networking is is like a a term that a lot of people kind of like, I don't know, like cringe at. 
Mm-hmm. And I get it. Like I am not a social person. I, I don't like, you know, going to talks and like making small talk and it's just not part of me. I'm, I'm very much an introvert, and, but I've learned t- to do it because you, you have to, if you don't, if you don't meet these other people, you don't get their, you know, diverse viewpoints and you don't get to learn. And and I think that's the biggest thing is I get to learn so much about all these different fields and industries and research and, you know, jobs. And, and I get to kind of get an idea that way of, of what I want to do and like where I want to be. And, um, and of course make these connections that, that can help down the road and, um, so I, I get it. I networking sucks a lot of the time, mm-hmm. honestly, like it does, but it's so important. And, and I think we just have to push ourselves and find opportunities to do it. Um, I, I, I totally agree. And, and I, I am not good at it and I'm not either. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at it, but I, I, do it. <laughs> it. It sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of it. You, you know, it's interesting. And I think about this, that I am very extroverted. I'm sure you're shocked. Uh, <laughs> but, but in a way that like, I love going and and talking to people and like making friends, but at the same time, I struggle to be intentional about it. And, and right. maybe that's, that that's important to think about too. Like if I go to a, a, a conference or something, I love to you know chat with whoever I can, but to think about it from a like purposeful standpoint, sometimes I'm like, Oh, but I just don't want to, you know, it feels <laughs> weird sometimes. Yeah. Something that I've started doing is being very mindful. Like you said about specific people that I want to meet when I go to these conferences mm. or not even meet, but maybe reconnect with. And so I'll make a list of, you know, two or three people before I go to these events. Um, and it, and if I know that they're going to be there or I'll reach out to them ahead of time and see if they're going to be there and set up a 15 minute coffee between talks or, you know, just say, Hey, I want to meet up, catch up. Um, and I, I was able to do that a couple times at this last meeting and, and it's, a lot less stressful than just like walking up to someone when they're in a big room of people or like they're already having a conversation and trying to interrupt them. Like if you set aside a time and most people are going to say, yes, I mean, who's going to just say like, that'd be so rude. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to say yes, hopefully. And, and, and then it's a little bit more intentional and, and to me less awkward and low pressure because you're, you're already planning to meet up. It's, it's not like you're cold calling, or, yeah. you know, whatever the in-person equivalent of that is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's such a good tip. I, I mean, it really is. And I think that's very practical for, for those of you out there who are thinking about, you know, go, or you're headed to conferences and doing those things. Cause it is awkward. It can be awkward. And, and it's like, you know, you, the, the imposter syndrome starts to kind of play with you and you're like, Oh, this person's this big research, whoever, why would they want it? Like, like they don't know me. If I just go up and talk, why would they want to talk to me? And I know that's something I deal with. Uh, but being able to just send an email and be like, "Hey, can we chat tomorrow? Do you have a few minutes?" is yeah, or a really great tip. Yeah, if you have a mentor that's more well known than you are in in the community, just have them introduce you. That's how I met my current advisor. And um, yeah, I think there's there's avenues around that. And 
I, w- I would always set a goal for, for if there's one person you want to meet, meet that one person. And, and if you've done that, like you've had a successful networking event. So that is, that's such a good tip. You know, I had a conversation with uh, a couple of grad students a while back and they were struggling with some research stuff. And I, I told them that, and, and I don't know if this is something that we tell our students enough that they have to and have the right to advocate for themselves. And, and I meant in terms, I was talking in terms of like, they were having a specific problem. I'm like, look, no, no one can really do this for you. You have to be able to add, but this is another side of that, that, that you're talking about. And uh, I, I think that's an important kind of foil to that as well. Yeah. I think, again, it goes back to like, you, you have your own personal goals, right. Of, of what you want to do and, and, you know, career wise and personal, whatever. Um, but you have to be the one to initiate action on that, um, whatever it may be. And and if you if initiating action means asking someone to introduce you and, and be that conduit, then great. Or if you're comfortable enough just sending an email or doing the thing, like do the thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just however you get about it, um, you still have to be the one to initiate whatever it is. Have you, uh, and again, this is, this is sort of a, a, I don't know, a a pointed question in some ways, but have you gotten pushback on all the different stuff that you do as a grad student? Um, (laughs) how to answer this? Um, (laughs) yeah, don't get yourself in trouble because, (laughs) um, I, I just, I don't ask permission. I just do it. <laughs> um, I dig that. I really dig that. <laughs> I I mean, again, like it's 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 my career and my life. And if if I feel like I need to take a step to get me where I need to be, um, I feel like my mentors and my advisors should encourage me to, you know, do whatever I need to do to get there, right? And and that's that's technically what they're there for to help facilitate. So I haven't gotten any pushback. Um, and, and I hope this doesn't <laughs> come back to bite me in the butt, but, um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's like I said, it's, it's my career. So I, I'm taking steps that I feel like I need to take and that's that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I don't have to use that if you don't no, want me no to. For that, I'm... Okay. <laughs> No, I, I think that's important because I think I, I talk to a lot of people that are like, ah, gosh, again, how do I say this? Right. <laughs> uh, I have to think about this stuff too. Cause I'm like, I don't want to, yeah. you know, but there, there's a mental, let me say it this way. There is a mentality in academia that especially I think when you get into certain like echelons of the hierarchy that it's like, no, you do academia and that's all you do and you do research and then you go home and you come back and you do research. But that's not how life is. Right. Yeah. Life and, is juggling three jobs and <laughs> research and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't. Well, and, and also, you know, maintaining other outlets and, and having, things that keep you from absolutely losing your mind and all of that. Yeah. And I think for me, like my PhD research is, 
honestly not very rigorous. Um, and, but that's okay because I'm not going into research. And so I, sure. I have very much set this mentality that like my PhD is an opportunity for me to build my network, learn some skills, like learn how to do research, which technically is what the PhD is supposed to be for, mm-hmm. right? Whether or not it's a publishable product at the end of the four and a half years, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to dissociate myself from that because I'm not going into academia. I don't need the publications. I do feel like I need to publish because, and I've, I've heard you talk about this before on, on the podcast, like this is the community's knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And so we need to share that. And so from that standpoint, like, yes, I need to do this, but I'm looking at this whole process as, as a learning opportunity, right? And, and a way for me to figure out what I want to do and, and build my skill set and not necessarily like pump out publications and, you know, do the research. And if it's not good, like I'm a failure. That's, that's very much not my viewpoint. Like I'm learning what works. And if I make mistakes, like now I know. So, oh yeah, oh gosh, that is there's so much there, and you know the the fact that we tie huh, uh, academic success or publishing success to this, we we tie it to our own morality and call it like you said a moral failure for yeah. like oh if your paper doesn't get published that is a moral failing and that's so untrue. Yeah, like I've made so I've made so many mistakes with you know, data collection and and maybe not using the right methods for what I'm trying to get at. And just looking back, like to me, I mean, my committee probably thinks differently. Right. But (laughs) (laughs) to me, like that's valuable. That, that means something to me. Like I have learned through trial and error that like, this doesn't work. This would have been better. And, and, I think a lot of times it's very much like you'll go into your defense and they're like, well, why didn't you do it this way? Well, because four years ago you told me to do it this way. So I did. And and I learned a lot from it, but we don't have publishable results. You know what I mean? And, and I don't know. I think there's just so much, so much that goes into academia. That <laughs> there, there's so much is, and I think it's important as a scientific community. And, and I think that, we start to lose our ability to really innovate when we start to demonize negative results. Right. And like, you can't, I don't know if out there listening, you realize this, but you almost can't publish or it's very, very hard to publish negative results when that from a scientific standpoint, not knowing what doesn't work is a hundred percent as important. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) And, and, you know, again, I have a lot of probably unpopular opinions on <laughs> yeah. publishing and academia and all that. But, but I think that we also have to get to a place where as a scientific community, as a academic community, that we're being a little bit more intellectually honest about what we do and the reasons we do it and the way we approach it. Right. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm in a weird position where I'm, uh, you know, teaching faculty and I play greenhouse guy and all that. And so I'm not currently uh, running in this publication hamster wheel. Uh, I'm, I'm doing some research and I'm working on some papers. And I know if Dr. Young's out there listening, he's <laughs> like, I wish you would do a little bit more running in the hamster wheel. But 
you know, I've got a couple of papers that need to go out. Uh, Don't we? Oh. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but we all have. I think it's it's an important point that we all have different like end goals yeah. um, with our our. Uh, education and all that. So, so you're thinking industry? Are you? Is that kind of your goal? Yeah, industry consulting. I'm I'm really liking this whole, like I said, science communication thing. Um, so I don't really know what I can morph that into, but uh, hopefully something eventually. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I well, mean, and you're and you're really very good at it. Well, thank you. <laughs> very sweet. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I I mean it. I think that there. It, it, it takes a certain, uh, I don't know, it takes a certain personality and skill set and, and, and passion for what you do to be able to really package complicated information and give it to people that don't care about <laughs> p-values. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, it's it's tough. And um, I'm doing, like I said, some, some blog writing for Sunday right now. And um, like I just wrote one on or helped write one um, on like why fall leaves change color. And that is a science heavy top. There is so much information on that. And it, it was difficult for me to even go through and condense it into a briefing for our creative team. And um, But it's, I get to learn so much about yeah. these random topics. Right. And, and that's what to me is so fun. And I get to share that knowledge with someone who maybe doesn't understand what, anthocyanins are you know what i mean and, and mm -hmm. condense that into something digestible and and that to me is just like so much fun and so rewarding uh, for, for sure and that is that is such a cool topic too that's yeah. a, a whole other thing but yeah <laughs> the, the the biological processes that go into that the met metabolic processes that go into just you know your tree out front turning red is yeah. incredible yes it's so interesting yeah. uh, well I'll, I'll share that i don't know if whenever that post comes out i'll, I'll share that too because it is very very fascinating um so as as we kind of wrap up um i'm trying to think I've, i'm looking at my notes making sure i didn't <laughs> miss too much i'm sure i've missed things but uh uh I was going to ask, and, and this is, I, I always, maybe I shouldn't even ask this because I always hated when people ask me this. Um, <laughs> are you, are you looking at the spring maybe to wrap up? Yeah, we were shooting for the end of the year, um, but that is not going to happen. <laughs> uh, we did not know that the bent grass was going to last eight weeks without water. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, hopefully looking at, you know, early to mid-ish next year um, okay. to finalize some things. I, I, Fingers crossed. listen, I, oh yeah, no, listen, I know how that process goes yeah. and I'm pretty sure I, I said that several times, oh, yeah. I, you know, sit in a corner and cry for a while. And and I feel that. Get back to it. <laughs> so I asked you this last time and I'm curious if your, your thoughts have changed, uh, as you know, you've had a year and a half of experiencing life through a pandemic and everything else. Uh, but if you had a piece of advice, something to send people home with, what do you think that would be? Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit last time and, and we've touched on it today too, but I th <laughs> we just keep going back to this idea of, of saying no. Um, uh -huh. and, and this is still something that I'm struggling with. I did a 
I'm very proud of myself. I said no to something last week. Um, so yay me, but, um, it's, it's, but say no to things that, that you aren't excited about or that aren't going to help you long-term. Um, I've often signed up for random things that looking back, it was just not a waste of time, but it didn't propel me forward. Right. And it, it wasn't Mm -hmm. fulfilling or anything like that. And so I'm, I'm trying to be much more intentional about projects that I take on and, and commit fully to things that I'm super excited about or really interested in, or that I think are going to help me long-term because um, like we've said, things just pile up and and learning to say no is a skill set that like you have to practice. Mm-hmm. You, you truly have to like practice saying no sometimes so that you get in the habit of it. And, and I think that is something that, especially grad students, but I think anyone really um, it's hard, hard to do because you, you want to be, you know, a people pleaser or, you know, mm-hmm. just say yes to, to everything. Um, but it's better to, you know, give your all to a few things rather than spread yourself too thin and, and do a poor job on, you know, 50 things. Um, that's not going to help you in your career. It's, it's much better to be intentional and precise and fully committed to, doing something really well. And that's what people are going to remember you for. Oh, that's, that's really good advice again. And I think that I, I kind of like that. I, I mean, it's, it, I, I listened back to your episode um, a few days ago in preparation for this mm-hmm. and it's the same advice, but with maybe a little more experience behind it. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying yes to this. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, this was this I was very excited about, and I felt bad we had to reschedule so many times. But <laughs> oh no, that was totally fine because I, I know when we had first planned it, I looked at my calendar for that week, and I was like, "Oh goodness, uh, can we?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. same. <laughs> so no, I'm fine. I'm glad we found a time, and you know, as we get into finals and and semester wrapping up and everything else, I I you know I always enjoy talking to you. This is uh, I, I have a lot of fun. Yeah. I so having a great time. So, uh, what uh, again? Do you want to plug your stuff? Where can people find you? Ooh, where can people find me? Um, I'm on Twitter <laughs> at Boiled Worms. Um, I do have a website, but they like just changed how you format things, and I've not taken the time to figure out how to figure that Fair out. Um, but it's peboil.wixsite.com/slash Boiled Worms. So kind of a mouthful, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> hopefully we can link somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I don't really know. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> that'll get oh, no. you I... most of the way, right? <laughs> yeah, and then you can find links from there. That's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> well, Paige, thanks so much again for for coming on and talking. I I always I think learn a lot from you oh, uh, and your experience, and um, I really like the perspective you have on life and academia and all oh. that. So I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. Well, all of y'all, thanks for listening, as always. Uh, I don't actually even know what today is as we release this, but whatever day it is, I'm glad that uh, you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. I hope you have a great holiday season. and We'll talk again soon. Oh, be sure to take some time for yourselves and uh, advocate for yourself. At the end of the day, you're the only person that will do it, really, that will do it. 
And uh, even if that means asking someone else to go to bat for you, advocate for yourselves. Thanks so much to Paige for being willing to come back on and give up some of her precious time to talk with me. It is always, always a genuine pleasure to talk with my friend. Thank you all so much for listening. You people make this absolutely worth doing. And uh, thanks again to Texas Tech and the Department of Plant and Soil Science. But mostly thanks to you, the listener, and my friends who I've made through this show. You know I love y'all lots. Keep being kind to each other. If you have not been kind to each other, maybe start doing the thing. And keep being cool plant people. Uh, Join me next episode as we talk about trees and climate change. It should be a good one. Y'all take care, and we'll talk soon. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.